Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Then just over in the Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, we're just going to read uh, just a, a few verses here uh, to get the context of one verse, but I believe uh, these verses are important for us as Paul is about to leave the uh, Ephesian church and the elders he's called together. We're going to read from verse 17 and uh, in Acts chapter 20 and beginning to read from verse uh, 17. Sorry, we'll, we'll actually take it from verse uh, 28. Verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And I just want to stop the reading there just for a moment because these are very important words. An exhortation from Paul the Apostle. He has labored. He has seen the church established here at Ephesus. They've seen the power of God move upon them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They were speaking in tongues. They were magnifying the Lord and prophesying. Paul is about to depart and he calls the leaders together of the church to exhort them and to warn them of what would happen. This is Paul. This is the church at Ephesus. What will happen shortly after his departure? It's very much a prophetic word that he's instructing them and warning them what will take place just after his departure, that there would be men that would come. I suppose we would call them men, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, but they'll not spur the flock, and they will speak perverse things, and they will draw the disciples away after them and the teachings that they would bring. Now, I just simply believe that these men would come to bring the church away from the simplicity and the centrality of Jesus Christ and the cross. They would bring philosophies, ideas, ideologies, doctrines. It would be a mixture of many things. And Paul here has warned them. He's wept. He's prayed. He's encouraged them. He's told them. He's instructed them what will happen shortly after he leaves. And then in verse 32, it says, And now, brethren, I commend to you and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him 
sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more, and they accompanied him unto the ship. We just turn to that verse 35. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, just listen to these words, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The first week we looked at praise uh, preparing the way, a prepared place in praise and lifting up the name of the Lord because the Bible tells us that God will inhabit the praises of his people. Last week we looked at faith, faith in the promises of God, that God had given them the promise of the Father, that the Holy Ghost would come and would baptize them all in the Holy Ghost and with fire. And we see how faith in his word they entered into Jerusalem, into that upper room, and they waited and they magnified and they worshipped the Lord those days, tarrying till the Holy Ghost came. And they weren't disappointed because the Holy Ghost fell upon them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak with other tongues. Praise, faith. And I believe this next and final part of this is as important as praise and faith. And that is that they were a people that were willing to give. They were a people that was willing to give. You know, there is a sea, we all know it well, it's called the Dead Sea. In the Arabic, it's called the Sea of Death. It is also known as the Salt Sea, but it has one, one inlet, which is from the River Jordan. The Jordan River runs into the Dead Sea and flows into that lake, the north, into the north part of the lake. We know it as the Dead Sea, you'll get pictures of people sitting floating in the sea, reading the newspaper and so forth. You can just rest in it because of the high content of salt. But it has no outlet, and that's why it's known as the Dead Sea, because nothing lives there. Nothing lives there. Christianity, the church and its empowerment, and for it to receive the blessing of the Lord also, not must only be a, a recipient of the blessing of the Lord, but primarily we read here in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. We are living in the footsteps or following in the footsteps of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who in himself, demonstrated to us what it is to give because he gave his all and he gave it for you and for me. Jesus had told them that you will be a witness unto me. That simply meant they would be charged to give testimony by word and demonstration and by lifestyle of everything that Jesus was and everything that he is. They would not only preach the word, but they would live the word. They would demonstrate the word in following after the master, Jesus Christ. They would preach the gospel, but also 
give the gospel by living out a life following in the steps of the Lord. A life that was a true representation of who he is. God knew that these men and women would go forth preaching the gospel, but they would also live this gospel. There's a wee verse, it's in John chapter 2 and verse 24, and it simply says this, that he would not commit himself unto them because he knew what was in them. You know, God knows what's in us, and he knew what was in the upper room. He knew every person, he knew every life, he knew every man, he knew every woman, he knew every older person, he knew every younger person, and he knew that he could commit to them the blessing of the Holy Spirit because these lives had been completely surrendered to the purposes and the plan of God. They would not be disappointed in the blessing. They would not be disappointed in the outpouring. But God knew that in their hearts and in their lives, they would be willing to give all for the sake of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They would demonstrate the life that he lived from the example that he set by following his footsteps. Here the Bible says the words of the Lord, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It is more blessed to give. It's the opposite, of course, we know in the world because the world want to receive. But the whole kingdom principle is the opposite to the whole mindset of the nature of man and the world system. The world system is I need to get and man in his nature is born when he's a wee baby with his two hands clenched, wanting to grab everything. But the whole essence of the kingdom are hands that were open. Christ came into the world and gave himself as a ransom for all men. The people in that upper room gave themselves for this gospel to be given to this world. There was no requirement from their, in their point of view, that was too difficult and there was no cost that was too great. What they had received freely, the Bible says they would freely give it. Luke chapter 11, if you turn over and verse 13, we see here a father who is willing to give us the much more. In Luke eleven thirteen, it says these words, If ye then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? We see right at the heart of God that God is a God that gives. He's a God that gives. He gave His Son. He spurred not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. He held nothing back. We serve a God who has given everything for the ransom of all men. He gave his only begotten son. Right at the core of Christianity is this principle. It is more blessed to give than it is for us to receive. And we have received greatly. 
Haven't we received greatly from the Lord? He has saved us. He has kept us. He has blessed us. He has given us health. He has given us peace. He has given us hope. He has given us blessings upon blessings. We cannot even number the blessings of what the Lord has given us. But yet in this principle set before us, He has given of Himself. And solely as we have received, then we must give also for the blessing to flow. They had embraced. How did this happen? Really, if we think about it for a moment, because we know for those three years, uh, these disciples, these followers of the Lord, we, their story is told for us to read the life that they lived, how they lived, and all the different things that were going on for those three years prior to the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. But really, the whole heart of these men and women were transformed by the power of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. When men and women embrace the wonder and the glory and the power and the reality of what the cross really is, it transforms the heart of man. It changes a life right down to the very inner core of that being. A life is transformed by embracing the wonder and the glory and the power of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it do when a man embraces the wonder of the cross? When a revelation of the cross of Christ grips the heart of an individual? When the cross of Christ becomes everything and the centrality of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. What really happens at the very core of that human vessel is it is no longer I, and it is no longer me, and it is no longer my, but now it is Christ and Christ alone. The power of the cross changes the very heart of man and gives them the heart of a father that says, I will give and give of myself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you look at these verses, Paul writes in verse 19 and 20, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, he says these words, and think about them as we read them. Consider them for a moment. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God? Then what does it say? And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Do you know you've been bought with a price tonight? You've been purchased by Jesus Christ tonight. You are not your own. I am not my own, for I have been bought with a price. What is that price? It's the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ has redeemed us has ransomed us, has delivered us, has set us free, and no longer are we our own, but we have been purchased by God. Therefore, Paul writes, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are, who does it belong to? It's God's. It's all His. Everything of what we are, everything of what we own, everything that has been given to us, has been given to us by God Himself. Here's 120 people 
that were not only the recipients of the power from on high, but they were the vessels of mercy that God was used as the church became literally, in, in a figurative sense, became a place where the bread of heaven and the bread of life would be distributed to the lost and a dying world. You know, the, the, the town Bethlehem, we know, simply means the house of bread. And Jesus said that he is the bread of life. And so when we have been given the instruction that we should wait and tarry in Jerusalem uh, as the first church were to, until they be endued with power from on high, so they would become a people that would distribute the bread of life. That's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They would wholly give themselves to the fields which were white on the harvest. You know, our fields are white on the harvest. Our fields are white. This is the harvest time. This is a day of the harvest. This is day. And we are to labor while it is yet day. Christ is coming soon. But we have an opportunity in these days in order to labor for the master to see the gathering in of that harvest. But we must know that we can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe that as a group of people, as a gathering of God's people, it is all of our hearts. It is our true desire. It is our desire in our hearts that God would take this simple group of believers, as he will with many believers scattered across this world at this time, but that he would take these frail vessels that are given to him in order that through these vessels that God, that we would be the hands, the feet, and the mouthpiece of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he requires of us is a simple dedication of our lives to the purposes of God. How does that truly come and impact our lives when there's a fresh revelation again in the church of the centrality of the cross of Jesus Christ? What it really means to each of us. We, we lose so much so often in all the things of this world and all the things that happen in our lives. But for a fresh revelation of the cross of Jesus Christ, what it really means, what it really cost Him, what it really means to each of us in our lives. And as we embrace the revelation of the cross, we'll realize at that moment that we don't have any rights. We don't have any rights because we've been purchased with this precious blood and we come into a relationship where we're willing to leave all to follow him. We see in this story, as we're reading it, these disciples, these 120 men and women, as they mounted those steps to that upper room, you know, you think of all the failures and the backsliding and, and all the deserting and all the infighting that even was amongst them and all the different things that were happening at that time. But when they'd come to the revelation of the cross, that Christ had died, that Christ was buried, that Christ was risen again, and they came into the revelation that this is it. This is the fullness of the, the Godhead bodily dwelling 
in our Lord and the revelation of what it cost the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross, to take away our sin. It was at that moment that they lay everything at the feet of Jesus Christ and said, Lord, we surrender everything into the purposes and the plan of Almighty God. God, Jesus himself, knew what was in their heart at that moment and committed to them the power of the Holy Ghost and the rest for us is history as they went out and they dealt their bread to this world. It's in Isaiah 58, if you turn over into the Old Testament, we see here this prophecy, but really what this true Christianity really is, what it is all about. Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 7 says these words, Is it not for us to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Now note these verses here, verse 7, and what we're instructed, what true Christianity is, what it really looks like as it's being demonstrated. Is it not for us to deal the bread? And I believe that to be primarily, I believe that to be the gospel. That is the bread of life. You know, we, we can have, there are many good things that happen, food banks and social activities. They're good things. But this here primarily is talking about the power of the gospel to change a life. We, we can and we should. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. We can feed the hungry, but we can fill their bellies. But if we never tell them their need of Christ and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they would go to hell with a full belly, but their souls would be lost. And here we see, is it not for us? If we give, if we're willing to give ourselves, if we're willing to give the bread of life to the hungry, if we, when we see the poor, if we see them, that we bring them in, that, that we bring them into thy house, that we gather in those that are broken, those that are maimed, those that are lame, those that have been rejected, those that have all the issues of what we see in this day. You know, there is an answer to all of that, regardless of all the syndromes and all the different things that we witness and hear of every day, every day, and, and, and all the different aspects of what psychiatrists and all the psychology of this day, what they present to us, but there is simply one answer for all men everywhere, and it is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to change a life. And so we then bring the poor, those that are poor, are speaking of those that are in sin, those that are in chains, those that are in bondage, those that have been cast out, we bring them in to thy house. Now, I believe primarily, not only does it mean our own homes, but it means into God's house, into the gathering of God's people. When you see the naked, then you cover him, and you will not hide not thyself from thine own flesh. We see here the gospel in essence is that we give to the world that's broken around us. And what a broken world. What a dire world we're living in. 
What a broken society. What a broken, the brokenness that's all around us. How we're instructed as the church, the bread, the house of bread, that we're to deal this bread. We're to deal it to the hungry, to the poor, to the outcast, to the broken. You know, there might be many who don't want to hear. There might be many religious people that are not interested. But you know and I know that beyond all of the facade of today, there are countless thousands of people this very night that are broken, that are destitute, that don't know where to turn, that are suicidal, that are addicts, that are living in a hell in this earth. And this is not hell. And we have an answer tonight, and that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to deal this bread, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the hungry. They are hungry, and they are looking for an answer. When the church gives, what happens in verse 8? When the church gives, look what it says. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord. Look, we're praying so often, Lord, we need you to fill your house with your glory. We're longing that, that there would be the house that's filled with the glory of the Lord that he would pour out his spirit in these days. But you know what must happen first, brothers and sisters? The church must open its hands. It must be in a position again that it's willing to give itself for the sake of the gospel without reservation. That we're willing to lay, as we often say, all on the altar. Gladly, we are laying our lives before you. We bring everything Lord, you see this waiting host. You see this people and the longing of their hearts. But, oh God, we pray, Lord, that in the sincerity of our hearts, we give ourselves to you tonight for the reaping of a harvest. And genuinely and sincerely, we give our all afresh for the sake of the gospel. When we deal our bread to the hungry, when we give as a church of ourselves, Not so much, you know, so often that's put down the substance or things. But, you know, really what God's not, he's not looking, God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our things. God wants us. He's looking our lives. He's looking our hearts afresh to say, God, we realize the moment that we've come to, but we give of ourselves unto thee. Then, then, and only then, I believe that God will pour out His Spirit again like we have seen in the days of the book of Acts. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 5, we see that the Lord instructed His disciples as He commanded them to go out to preach the gospel. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 5, it says these words as He sent the twelve out. These twelve Jesus sent forth And commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. But he sent them first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, he said, Preach, saying that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now here's the gospel that he entrusted them with. Number one, heal the sick. 
Number two, cleanse the lepers. Number three, raise the dead. And number four, cast out devils. Then what did he say? Freely ye have what? Would you say that word? Received. How many in this room genuinely, think of it for a moment. How many genuinely can just think for a moment, freely you have received. I mean, think about it for a moment. Just think about those words. You freely have received. Have we received of the Lord? Honestly, but think about it for a moment. Think about your life. Think about where you were. Think about the pit that you were in. Think about the grace of God. Think about the goodness of God that brought you to repentance. Think about the moment that he delivered you out of a horrible pit. Think about the life that you once lived. Think about it, friends, just for a moment. Think about the torment that you were in in your mind. Think about the bondage of sin. Think about the shame. Think about the wreckage of the life. Think about all the things that were going on. Think about the trouble that you were in. Think about the despair. Think about the sleepless nights. Think about the being tormented from all the demons in hell. Think about the darkness that used to engulf you. Think about the hopelessness. Think about the tears that you used to weep. Think about the absolute emptiness of that life. Think about all the brokenness of this life. And then think for a moment of the goodness of Jesus. Just think of that moment when he reached down. Think of the moment when his hand burst forth down into that horrible pit and he lifted you out of that dungeon of sin and he set your feet upon that rock. Think about when he clothed you in his own righteousness. He took away your filthy garments of sin and he broke the chains and he clothed you and he's put a song in your heart and peace in your heart and peace in your mind. Have we received freely from the Lord? And so he says, you have received freely. You've received freely. It cost you nothing. It cost him everything, but it's cost us nothing. And he says, as you've received freely, what does he say then? Two words. Freely. Freely. Give. The upper room not only had a gathering of people who prepared the place, and praise for the Holy Spirit. They not only had a faith in the word of promise that opened the very window of heaven, but they were also a people, these people, pray that we would be the same, that we're willing to give everything, everything they had received. It's better to give. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. In order for to be a receiver and to walk continually in receiving from the blessing of the Lord, it's inextricably linked To the heart that's willing to give. It can't be separated. We know that this is the opposite. To the whole nature of, of man. From the, from the birth. We come out. And the first thing we do is we grab. 
everything. You know what it's like when they just get onto the knees and then they're crawling and then they're trying to walk. But once that starts, they're going to grab. That's why all the ornaments go about another two meters higher. Because they're going to grab everything. It's in the nature to take. But it's in the heart of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is their nature to give. And it's that divine nature that we have become partakers of. To give. And we've been given much. Haven't we? Luke 12 and 48, just coming to close in a minute, says these words. Luke 12 and 48. For unto whomsoever, Jesus said, much is given. Of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. Genuinely and sincerely, I believe, I could say this certainly from from my point of view, but certainly I believe I can say it for all of us. I believe we've been given much. I really do. You know, uh, this morning I got a wee picture through from Vishnu and the wee bit of land that we were able to help to buy. And they're on the side of probably one of the most beautiful views that you've seen anywhere else in the world, but here was, but right on the side of that wee mountain, and I clicked open the picture this morning, just about five to six. There was a little church that had just been built on the side of a mountain in those Himalayan ranges. And I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. We are so blessed. We have been given so much. And it's been a blessing as a church to be able to help in some way to purchase that little little patch of ground on the side of that mountain. But we have so much. We have so much. But here the Lord makes it clear, for unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. We're accountable for what we've been given. I'm not just talking about finance. I believe we've been blessed beyond measure in so many ways, including finances, but blessed beyond measure in so many ways. But one day what has been given to us will be required of us. What has been committed to us of him they will ask the more. Believe as the Lord gathered that 120 in to that room. He could see into those hearts with all their imperfections, with all their failure, he could see into those lives that not only would they praise him and not only would they have faith in believing for the promise that he'd given them, but number three, he knew there's a people here that are willing to give, give themselves for the sake of this gospel. You know, we all know, and I know the last couple of days have just been 
talking to Nicky. And, but we all know the day we are living in. It is, it is, I suppose sometimes not being in secular employment or not coming into a lot of contact with the systems that there are that many of you even work in. But I think the horror of where we are and the horror of what's taking place and the shift, and I don't want to try and, oh, he's trying to, I, I don't think I'm, I think I'm probably underestimating it, to be quite frank. But I think for about the last 10 to 15 years, there's been a very strong undercurrent that's been taking place in our country. There's been a very strong undercurrent, and I believe it's a demonic undercurrent, and it's had a profound effect, and nowhere more has it had a profound effect than any other generation but our young people. Now, our young people, if the Lord tarries, and we got to think about this for our children, but if we're not here, we got to think about this for our grandchildren and so forth. Listen carefully, because what is happening is this. The generation that's coming up have been so influenced by these powers and antichrist system that's rising rapidly, as the Bible tells us it will. They're being so influenced in a very short space of time. Who will be our doctors, our teachers, our policemen, our solicitors, our judges, our legislators, our politicians, is the generation that's being influenced the most at this present time by that system. Brothers and sisters, not very long from now, if the Lord tarries, but not very long from now, from this point, if there is no revival that revives the church to waken out of this. There is a whole world around us that is being so influenced by that antichrist spirit that this world as we know it, because it's changed so quick, it has changed, it happened so quick. I know we're sitting 2020, but I don't know about you, but I still think we've just turned past 2000. It seems like the year 2000 was this a couple of years ago, but it's 20 years ago. And it's changed so rapidly and so quickly that honestly the only answer to all of this is a revived church with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the preaching of the cross to impact that world. Otherwise, many of us, even in the space of 20 and 30 years, won't be here if the Lord tarries. We'll already have gone home to be with the Lord. But as what legacy we leave behind is crucial. This first church left a tremendous legacy. What it was to give all. To give literally everything to follow the Lord. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, he was no disappointment then and he'll be no disappointment to anybody now. I believe genuinely, you know, we sing that song so often, the fields are white on the harvest. And there's a wee line and it says, Lord, I give myself to help the reaping. 
I want us to sing that tonight, but to really make it a prayer. Lord, wherever I am, I want to give myself to help the reaping. And if we're willing genuinely to do that, to give bread to the hungry, Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit to do that for the sake of your name and for lost souls, Lord, we give ourselves tonight because, brothers and sisters, this world is changing so fast. It is rapidly changing. And I honestly believe, I've said it many times, and but I do believe that within the short space of time that in this country, you will be arrested for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Very shortly that will happen. They will ban the preaching of God's word because it's an offense to everything that they are. At the minute, everybody's comfortable. We have a great liberty. But that's not far away because the sea change has already taken place and the generation that's coming up have no thought of God. And so it's important tonight that while it is yet day, God has given us health and breath and a body to serve him, that we give ourselves for the gospel. If we are genuine in that tonight as we sing this song, in our hearts as best as we can, that we come afresh to the foot of the cross and the wonder of it and say, Lord, tonight I give myself for the reaping. Now would you fill my life with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our desire surely for souls and to be used of the Lord. So as we stand tonight we'll sing this song, make this our prayer come into a time of prayer and allow the Lord just to undertake for us tonight to open our eyes to the reality of where we are and trust Him tonight. We're willing to give and if we are willing to give brothers and sisters He's willing to fill us tonight. Let's stand together as we sing this unto the Lord.